Good morning, everyone. We welcome you to our Sunday morning roundtable discussion with the subject of soul and body. We're so glad you could join us today. We are recording from the Plainfield Christian Science Church Independent in Plainfield, New Jersey, the United States of America. And Florence will begin with our prayer. I'm reading this morning from uh, page 144 of the Blue Book and page 61 of the Blue Book. Think deeply for yourself. Muse your muse on the allness of spirit until it becomes a consciousness of perfection and harmony, which will be manifested openly to the world. Father, teach me how to still the clamoring of sense and fill my place as listener, that I may hear thy voice and grow to understand thy word and so become thy messenger. Then teach me how to banish pride and stubborn will, that I may be thy representative, with no false sense of human zeal, that every word may bless and heal when I thy message give. Beautiful, thank you. All right, Karen. Watch number 309. Watch that you hold a scientific thought as to the kind of a body Jesus had after the resurrection. Was it spiritual or was it material? Man never has but one kind of body. It is the material sense of it that is unreal. In an early edition of Science and Health, we find this statement, quote, the heathen gods of mythology were as real as our bodies are, end quote. After the resurrection, the disciples still saw Jesus' body as material, while he knew that it was spiritual. On page 218 of Miscellany, Mrs. Eddy writes that the spiritual body came with the ascension. Yet we find her saying that he reappeared as idea. The conclusion must be that body is to us as we regard it. Viewed materially, it appears to be matter. Yet science teaches that there is but one body, which is spiritual. If Jesus healed the sick by beholding the perfect man, he must have beheld his own body as perfect and spiritual also. Mrs. Eddy once said, quote, There is no space for a material body to occupy. There never was one 1,000 years ago. And the miscellaneous writings, page 70, she says, The thief's body as matter must dissolve into its native nothingness, whereas the body of the Holy Spirit of Jesus was eternal. Thank you. That's beautiful. All right, comments on that? I was thinking of that story where Mary Baker Eddy was... I believe it was Adam Dickey, and she touched his hand, and she said, this is spirit. And he said, no. And then he, afterwards, after denying that teaching, he went out in the hall and told, I believe it was Laura Sargent, she said she was trying to give you her highest teaching. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Wonderful. Thank you. Good one. Goes perfectly. Well, and the... And the sentence, the conclusion must be that body is to us as we regard it. <laughs> it all comes down to what, how we are looking at it. What are we thinking? And our body is just a reflection of what we're thinking, our consciousness. And um, since coming here, I'm getting that, I'm learning that more and more. And the results of it are the blessings I'm, I'm receiving as a result, but that is that is so important to understand that connection between thinking and 
and our and the body. Yes, and also to remember that the whole process of Christian Science healing is to get us to see clearly what is real. Because our thinking doesn't change our body. Our thinking goes from cloudy to clear vision. Our thinking goes from thinking thinking matter might have some substance to it to recognizing that matter doesn't that all is mind and its infinite manifestation yeah thank you it's good we're told that mrs eddie says when you're you know you have a healing you're you're not out trying to change something just trying to see what is true about you and that does seem to change your experience or your body or whatever but that's that's because you are seeing the truth made manifest. You're understanding the truth and not beliefs. Go ahead. I think that's what, what's been helpful is if I am the image and likeness of God, we know that God is spirit only. So then if I'm maintaining the awareness always that this oneness with God, spirit, that helps to view yourself properly in reality as spiritual instead of material. Thank you. Yeah, the, the at one minute with God is so important. It's just so important. It, it's the healing of everything if you know you're at one minute with the Father. It's a basic premise of Christian science and what Jesus taught us. <laughs> and, and, and that's why... You know, we don't look to the material appearance to see whether we've been healed or not. And Mrs. Eddy has said, the body is the embodiment of right ideas. The embodiment of right ideas, which is, goes back to what Karen was saying, you know, what you think is what you get. <laughs> so, so if you're, if you're, holding on to all these beliefs about your body being material and reading the magazines or whatever, watching things that tell you how material your body is, then that's what you, you seem to suffer from those beliefs until you get the understanding of who and, and what you are. And that is why, and it's in the lesson this week, and it's, it's one of the most important things to, to, to know in science is that, um, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And then Mrs. Eddy says in Science and Health, on Citation 8, it is our ignorance of God, the divine principle, which produces apparent discord. And the right understanding of him restores harmony. Notice she says apparent discord. That's because she's not, she's not giving reality to it. So whether we appear to have discord or harmony is not terribly relevant. It's what's, it's our consciousness. It's what, what, what we, are we seeing and demanding the truth or are we giving into some belief? And this is why if you have a problem, you seek God. You, it's because your, your ignorance of God that you're having the problem. And when you just seek to cure your physical ills or whatever it is, then you're barking up the wrong tree. You seek to know more of God and his righteousness, and then that will restore everything. All these things shall be added unto you, a byproduct of knowing God. But otherwise, you've got the cart before the horse. Go ahead, Florence. Yeah, I think that's why uh, when I read also that if you don't see all the errors, every problem that comes, I say animal magnetism, it's not from God. It can't be from God, perfect spirit, God. So if you don't see it like that, then the problem starts. So you, you set out to heal whatever seems to be appearing. You haven't even touched it. Thank you. But, and, you know, Eustace, his book is just full of that. Any problem, anything you have, it's animal magnetism, malicious malpractice. 
you see it that way, you keep it divorced from you. It has nothing to do with you. You're under a mesmeric belief that needs to be broken. Um, and, and I, you know, I love in the watching point, Mrs. Eddy said, there is no space for material body to occupy. That That's going to heal whatever ails you, my friend. What ails you? You're believing a physical body that's ailing you. Well, she's telling you there's no, God is omnipresent. He's all presence, all power, all knowledge. So there's no space for this problem. It, It exists only as a figment of your imagination. Because nothing can really change what God has made. That's what helped me. Nothing. 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 As Gary said, your visions are, are clouded. You see through a glass darkly. And maybe, you know, it's, it's the beliefs of the world that everybody's talking about this disease or that disease. Or maybe it's something you've allowed to handle down from generations. You know, your Aunt Matilda had it, so therefore you, you're going to have it. Even if you're not aware of it, if it's a belief operating, you need to pop that belief and and. And know who and what your family is. It's a family of God. Your mother, father is your mother, father, God. That's the only mother, father you've ever had. And your inheritance is all good. But if you slide into this thing, which sometimes is beautiful, but always erroneous, that you're a human parent and, oh, we're all getting together for a happy day today. And I'm... Getting into that family sense, you're liable to all those beliefs. Or even if you're gnawing around and saying, "I hated my family. My family was terrible," you're you're ad- identifying with a human family, and you're bringing it onto yourself. No, clarify your thought on that, especially this time of year, but at all times, and then you will not be subject to any fleshly inheritance. It couldn't be. It's just what I read. There is no space for a material body to occupy. And there never was one for a thousand, a thousand years ago. That means all your so-called relatives all had spiritual bodies. All they can give you is the divine. Because mm. that's all there ever was. Things worthy of perpetuity. And it, Yes, thank you. Things worthy of perpetuity. So I think it was last week, too, we were talking about the um, spiritual preexistence. You know, so- yes. Where was, you know, where was your birth in the matter? Something else, too, uh, the watch um, the watch last week kind of reminds me of what Gary was just saying, you know, the apparent discord. Uh, Carpenter was real clear on the apparent harmony that you sometimes experience in matter is also a trick. You know, um, the watch was saying, you know, that's the greatest uh, threat to your, your spirituality is this sense of human peace and human harmony. So mm-hmm. this is something that um, has become very clear uh, for me here at Plainfield. It's taken years for me to re- get clear on this. Because there is no matter, you're not trying to restore a sense of perfect matter. You have to remove it completely. You know, harmony, when you do have harmony, that's the peace of God. That's the truth. You're not trying to restore and get back to a perfect sense of matter. Thank you very much. That's right. Thank you. And when good things come your way, as they will, thank God for them. Recognize them as God's provision for you here and now. And don't worship, you know, don't start to worship the effect of God's provision instead of worshiping God, the source of the provision. Thank you, yes. I'll be forever grateful to Carpenter for revealing that so thoroughly and and giving us these examples uh, in Mrs. Eddy's home of how she did this. Human harmony is not what we're after, because I certainly once thought it was, as as I think most Christian scientists do. Mm -hmm. That's not it. And and that's why when you think that you'll never achieve it because it, it isn't it. It is not it. So thank you. It's a, such an important point. And thank God for dear Gilbert Carpenter and his son. And as we, you know, we're into this holy season now, 
and we certainly would hope that you have time on Thanksgiving Day to join us for our Thanksgiving service. It's very holy, and um, it's the only only holy day that Mrs. Eddy deemed important enough to give us a service. And as they say, it's the it's the reason for the season, um, and also Wednesday evening to come. Don't. And come ready to give, prepared to give your testimony, both Wednesday and Thursday. So important that we do this. And Mrs. Eddie knew it, which is why she has this beautiful service for us. And when you do that, your Thanksgiving day and your weekend will just be all the better for it. Believe me, because you put God first and you're teaching your family, your children, whoever you might be with the importance of praising God and thanking him for his goodness. Praise the Lord, the King of heaven. So. And just in case there's somebody listening that doesn't, isn't aware of the lesson, the Thanksgiving lesson is recorded on the website, has been all month, all month so in case yes. a reminder that you can listen to it. Yes, thank you. All right. Jeremy, the golden text. 1 Corinthians. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Thank you. Um, Carrie, again, sent me beautiful articles. And one, um, giving glory, giving God the glory. It had um, a beautiful reminder of what, what Mrs. Eddy says about this in miscellaneous writings on page 106. It has long been a question of earnest import. How shall mankind worship the most adorable, but most unadored? And where shall begin that praise that shall never end? Beneath, above, beyond. Methinks I hear the soft, sweet sigh of angels answering. So live that your lives attest your sincerity and resound his praise. That can be in the liberator because that is so beautiful. Um, We wonder how can we most praise God? And she says, live your lives that it attests your sincerity and therefore resounds his praise. Just remember, God owns you. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> no, no, nobody, nobody else owns you. And you don't really own yourself. Thank you. You, you, you have an obligation to yourself. And that is to be who and what you really are. Be the image and likeness of your creator who owns you. And if you do that, you'll have the best life that anybody could ever have. Thank you. And Mrs. Eddy says that our body is the temple of the living God. And that's why when you don't take care of it, you don't worship it or anything like that, but you take proper care of it, you, you know, you eat the best you can and sleep the best you can and get some exercise, all of those things, the best you can. Um, You're not being grateful for your body as being the temple of the living God. It should look the best it can. It should operate the best it can because it's true. It it does belong to God. It doesn't belong to you. Nothing belongs to you. It's all God's. And, And that's the reason to take care of yourself. It's not to impress anybody. Yeah. For that reason. And of course, Jesus says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And when you're just living it, not preaching it, but living it, people take notice and they'll might even ask, Well, what is it with you that you're you're in such good shape or good health or or so happy? Or so happy. So positive about life. And and then you'll get a chance. Maybe just even share the website. But um, glorify your God, which is in heaven. It's Isn't it the least we can do? 
You know, it is true. As she says, the, the most unadorned, unadored, unadored, unadored. Mm-hmm. That I always cry when I think of how God has been so misrepresented by all, all religions. I would say most religions, including, unfortunately, Christian science sometimes. And, and we are his representatives. If we don't represent him properly, he has no representatives. It's why people are anti-religion and anti-God. So we must give the right sense of God to, to the world. Because he should be the most adored. All right. There are a few things in the responsive reading that, um, again, I got some articles from Carrie. One about this um, idea, there's no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. And this article is very beautiful, called The The Victor's Way by Elizabeth Earl Jones. And she says, the ability to rejoice always comes of understanding that good is the only power because evil is powerless to produce suffering. It is likewise incapable of causing pleasure. No career that has not demonstrated this fact in science can truthfully be termed successful. Are we working for dominion over evil suggestions and over self? Or are we working for self-advancement and worldly achievement? The answer to this question will determine our courage and our endurance and our ability or disability to rise above criticism, seeming defeats, and outward stress. It's really very important. And then she says, unity with God, spiritual dominion, is the divine purpose and the destiny of man. So again, what are you working for? What are you working for in your healing? Are you again working to know God better? Or are you just working for your healing? Is your job, are you just working for self-advancement and worldly achievement? That's not the victor's way. And if you do that, you will find you will go Kerplunk. Okay, you will fail. The only way you can do it and to endure is to do it for God. And to do it because you love God and you do. You want to glorify him in your body and in your soul. And one thing I loved about that watching point was it brings out that they're not two of you. They're not two, not a soul, a body, not a mortal and an immortal. There's just the one. And it's the expression of God, and it is spiritual. So, and then the other article, Paul's demonstration, and we've talked about this often, but it was that Paul, if Paul had allowed himself to be, he had condemned himself for killing the Christians, he would have been of no use to God, right? Right. No. No. Therefore, all of us, I'm sure we've all had regrets in life. If you let that define you, you're of no use to God. Mm-hmm. You are having that pity party itself that does that. I mean, I'm sure it was not easy for, for Saul to rise into Paul to put all that behind. But look at what he did. Look at what he did. In doing that, and what a loss it would have been to the world if he had just had a pity party because his past hadn't been very pleasant. Self-pity is one of the adamants of error. And if we allow ourselves, when we know better, to condemn ourselves and to go on and on about our past, all the mistakes we made, well, you know, the the devil has had his way with you, (laughs) okay? As your testimony has silenced and you're of no service to God. You know, once uh, I think he, he he really felt he owed God, though, that God, once he, oh, his eyes were opened, that he had remorse, and that 
he would live his life atoning of sorts, some of it. I know when I woke to Christian science, I said, wow, I, you know, it wasn't major, but I said, I did that. I said, no, please forgive me. And and I, I felt like I owed God you know, to, to live right to the consequence. Thank you. And that's beautiful. And that should be your attitude. That's true repentance. That means you really have repented and you're going to change your ways and do what's right. And you'll do it right away. You won't waste time in self-pity. Poor me. I had none of the breaks. Look at so-and-so. Her life's been wonderful or his life is super good and mine wasn't. And, well, you're just digging a grave. Well, and, and the, the definition of the word repent does mean to change. I mean, you yes. may feel sorry for yourself. You may feel bad at first, but that's not that's the that's only part of repentance. The real repentance is when you change. Reformation. Yeah. And how do you change? Well, you <laughs> you get a little bit more clearly what it means to be the image and likeness of God, to be who and what you really are. Thank you. Do it differently. Mm-hmm. And you, you live your life differently, exactly. You know, it's funny. When I came here, I did have a sense as though I wanted to like pay, pay God back for bringing me here and everything. And I was operating under that delusion for a little bit. And then I realized, you know, God's the, the source of all abundance. So what would I do? Would I store up some of his abundance to pay him back? <laughs> <You know? laughs> so I'll just let that go. <laughs> I also, when I was, when that word condemning, I, I, um, my thought went to a rule for motives and acts where she says yeah. the members of this church should daily watch and pray to be delivered from all evil, prophesying, judging, condemning, counseling, influencing, or being influenced erroneously. So not only condemning others, but condemning yourself. That's an evil. Mm-hmm. And we've got to be alert to that, and that's one of the rules. For- Thank you very much. Right. You don't want to condemn God's creation. Vic Young says somewhere that condemnation is damnation. So. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some some religions foster it. I think the Catholic Church does. You know, it's old theology condemning the original sinner. You're just bad and terrible and all that kind of thing. That's why it has to be daily rooted out of your thought. So you're not into that mode ever. Because the responsive reading also says to be carnally minded is death. And another article by by Carrie, but it brings that out in, in, in a deeper way. It says, it is death. Not that it's going to be death. It is death. You know, we've been taught here that the human mind is a killer, right? Mm-hmm. So when you are carnally minded, when you are, and some of that is lust, envy, hatred, jealousy, but also self-condemnation or the condemnation of anyone as that daily duty brought out. You, you were killing yourself, so to speak. To be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. So this is why we don't want to get into that um, carnal mind. Whatever way, including self-condemnation, self-pity. You know, some people think that's putting yourself down and, you know, you're being meek and modest. Well, that is not means to be meek and modest at all. You're being you're being disobedient. And as as um, Karen read in The Daily Duty, it's evil and you're killing yourself. So then you start having problems with your body. But, hey, watch your thought, not your body. How are you thinking? Go ahead. Did someone else want to say something? Well, and Paul understood this when he wrote, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And what does that mean, to be in Christ Jesus? You have the mind of Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Follow his example. 
raise your thinking. I mean, he, he, he gave us a wonderful Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, and if we could just live that, just live that. And any time I wonder, you know, about all this stuff and all these fighting amongst people, just go back. What does the Sermon on the Mount say? And stay with it. Stay with that. Ten Commandments, the, the laws of God, of God. Stay with it and you'll, you'll keep your peace. Don't get into the fray. Keep the TV off. There's only one side, and that's the side of God who sees all his children as perfect. Is that not correct? Yes, but he made them so perfect. And so, yeah, all of them. Yeah, oh. that carnally minded thing and what you just said just made me think of the prodigal son when he came back he said your brother who was dead is now alive and back thank you yes yes and dead dead in in the beliefs of error beliefs of of sin beliefs of beliefs you're you're dead and many people you you can see them they look dead because they're all in the human mind the materialism of the world their eyes have no light um and they just need to be awakened to the truth to learn about a God that does love them, not about this God of wrath and that condemns the old theology God that everyone has a right to reject because that is not God. All right. And I also I love this in the responsive reading. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you. He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Again, think about it. That same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is here and it's in you. if You imbibe it. So there's nothing we can't overcome. We're not weak, helpless mortals. We've got the spirit of God in us. And having that spirit dwell in us, that's that's maintaining our oneness. With the Father, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's the most important thing you have to do all day is to do that. Maintain your oneness with God. Know the Spirit of God dwells within you. And it's possible because it's the truth. Because the Spirit of God is in you. Yes. Whether you, whether you realize it or not. And the, the Bible... The Bible tells us so, and also the woman in the apocalypse tells us so with the with the divine authority. There is another beautiful article Carrie sent about, uh, I think it was a McKinsey article about um, in the healing of what was it the centurion servant or he he said he was he was under authority, he was under authority, he was under you know there he had people in, uh, who were telling him what to do. And then he told others what to do. But he, it said in this article very beautifully that then he recognized that, yes, Jesus was under authority, too. And what authority was he under? God. God. <laughs> so he saw that and he saw the power it would give this Jesus being under that authority. And this is the authority we were all under, the authority of God. You're not under the authority of human parents or a boss or the government or anything you are under the authority of God and we must act that way know it's true and all things are possible to him okay Shardell and what you wrote this week well there's so much to work with and we all did but there's one that I just read over and over and over again. It's 302, Science and Health. The science of being reveals man as perfect, even as the Father is perfect, because the soul or mind of the spiritual man is God, the divine principle of all being. Because this real man is governed by soul instead of sense, 
by the law of spirit, not by the so-called laws of matter. Over and over. It doesn't read it. Thank you. Yes. Okay. That's what we're under, that divine authority, the divine authority of soul. Soul is beauty, joy, goodness, all the beautiful things. We're under that authority. All, all, every part of us is under that authority. Thank you. Okay, and Nancy. Uh, yes, I liked, um, I've been thinking a lot about faith and working with that. And Second uh, Corinthians, for we walk by faith and not by sight. Uh, Gill Exposition says, faith is a grace which answers many useful purposes. It is the eye of the soul by which it looks to Christ for righteousness, peace, pardon, life, and salvation. The hand by which it receives him and the foot which it goes to him and walks in him as it has received him. Which denotes not a single act of faith, but a continued course of believing. And is expressive, not of a weak, but of a strong, steady faith of glory and happiness and of interest in it. It is opposed to sight by which is meant not sensible communion, but the celestial vision. There is something of sight in faith that is a seeing of the sun, which is Christ, S-O-N. And it is an evidence of things not seen, of the invisible glories of the other world. Faith looks at and has a glimpse of things not seen, which are eternal, but it is but seen as through a glass darkly. It is not the full sight face to face which will be had hereafter when faith is turned into vision. And in Webster's uh, to walk by faith is to live in the firm belief of the gospel and its promises and to rely on Christ for salvation. In miscellaneous writings, Mrs. Eddy tells us that only by persistence unremitting straightforward toil by turning neither to the right nor to the left and seeking no other pursuit or pleasure than that which cometh from God can you win and wear the crown of the faithful I thank really you like that. that's beautiful <laughs> absolutely and I, I love that you know think about it if you have problems with your eyes your hands your feet the eye of the soul by which it looks to Christ for righteousness, peace, and pardon, life, and salvation. The hand which receives him and the foot by which it goes to him and walks in him as it has received him. Is that what your eyes and hands and feet do? Are they doing that? If they are, you shouldn't have any trouble with them. <laughs> Reminds me of that hymn, and in some ways that was a game changer for me, that hymn 324, Take My Life and Let It Be Consecrated, Lord, to Thee. It, it is. It's so beautiful. And that's what every part of your, quote, body, unquote, <laughs> your body in service to the Father. It's like all. the importance of being forever childlike, always yeah. turning to Christ, turning to to God, but without that, you can't see the vision that faith would, you can't have the faith. That's right. Someone else? Is my voice singing? Yeah. It always sing always only for my king. <clears throat> Let my messages be filled with messages from him. Um, yeah, don't be the voice of error. Yeah, don't be the voice lit. Let them always be messages. Yeah, don't be the voice of error. Anytime you have that kind of trouble, no. Are you using your voice to praise God and to help your fellow man? Are you keeping your voice in um, in line with the kingdom of heaven, your conversation in line with the kingdom of heaven? So, voice in error. Okay. Oh, voice in error. Voice yeah. in error. Yeah. Is that what you're voicing? Uh, a little child said she was six. And when we talked about this, I said, what are you doing with your lips? 
(laughs) So this made my heart. She said, well, I said I love you. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mommy and Daddy. (laughs) Little children know it. One of our Sunday school children, uh, who's now uh, uh, an adult, once said many, many, many years ago, you can't see God, but you sure can feel him. Yeah. But that that is the faith. It open, it's, it's the opening of your door, of your mind, to what God is. And how much faith do you have? Are you full of faith and therefore faithful? <laughs> Or is it half empty? <laughs> yeah, that's right. If you're full of faith, you will be faithful. <laughs> um, All right, Karen. Well, I um, the the uh, discussion oh, when Peter um, this was the uh, Matthew 16 verse 23 when um, Jesus was rebuking what Peter said to him. I found this very interesting from Benson. I saw this whole incident completely differently. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. That is, out of my sight. He looked at him, says Baxter, with displeasure and said, I say to thee as I did to the devil when he tempted me, Get thee behind me, for thou dost doest the work of Satan. The adversary, in tempting me for self-preservation, to violate my father's command and my undertaking, and to forsake the work of man's redemption and salvation, as thy counsel savoreth not the things that be of God, namely his will, work, and glory, but the things that be of men, or the love of the body and this present life. So it signifies what is in thy heart. Take heed, lest this carnality prevail. Our Lord is not recorded to have given so sharp a reproof to any other of his apostles on any occasion. He saw it was needful for the pride of Peter's heart, puffed up from the commendation lately given him. Perhaps the term Satan may not barely mean thou art my enemy, that while thou fanciest thyself most my friend, but also thou art acting the very part of Satan, both by endeavoring to hinder the redemption of mankind and by giving me the most deadly advice that can ever spring from the pit of hell, thou savorest not, dost not relish or desire. We may learn from hence, first, that whosoever says to us in such a case, savor thyself, is acting the part of the devil. Second, that the proper answer to such an advisor is, get thee behind me. Third, that otherwise he will be an offense to us, an occasion of our stumbling, if not falling. Fourth, that this advice always proceeds from not relishing the things of God, but the things of men. Yea, so far as this advice favor thyself from being fit for a Christian, either to give or to take, that if any man will come after Christ, his very first step is to deny or renounce himself in the room of his own will to substitute the will of God as his one principle of action. We see in this example of Peter how soon a person favored with the peculiar approbation of the Lord Jesus may through pride and self-confidence fall under his heavy displeasure 
and incur a severe rebuke from him. Our Lord immediately, after pronouncing Peter blessed on account of his faith and the noble confession which he made of it, and after conferring on him the high dignity before mentioned, did openly in the hearing of all the disciples call him Satan or adversary and declared that he had then no relish for the divine appointments but was influenced merely by human views and expectations of worldly interest. Thank you. There wasn't a man that could have been (laughs) self-condemnation. That would have been, um, I just, I just, uh, (laughs) wow. I I know it. Wow. Yes. And and this goes back to, you know, what Tony was talking about, where we're just trying to make life pleasant and matter. And what a rebuke. I'm sure Peter thought he was doing a kind thing saying that to Jesus, mm-hmm. that, you know, on a lesser scale. But you never know when you, you were going to get a rebuke from Mrs. Evans. You'd think you were doing some wonderful, kind thing and she could <laughs> rebuke the dreads for it. Because if the motive was wrong, if it was human, it was an offense. Um, and and this shows. and. My friends, this is what separates us from new age, all right? New age, your vision board, you're going to make your your life comfortable and matter. Not what it's about. Jesus knew he had to go through this being put on the cross to prove to all mankind who and what God is. And to even have anybody try to get him off that course was an offense, an abomination, you know, I think, too, of that, the Chosen, it played so well with Nicodemus and his, Nicodemus's wife. Oh, Nikki, I love my life. <laughs> Back to it. Just the voice of the serpent. And how he cried when Jesus Christ and his disciples left. And all he could leave was a, his pocket of purse of gold. But you see, it will try you, and it will try you from those who are close to you to get you off your course. And it should be. You should feel it as an offense to you because it whispers in your ear, oh, it's okay, do this, come to you, it's all right, let's do this, or whatever. Uh, Certainly will become during these next, let's keep them holy days and not bloody holidays. So keep to your course. and and along with that, thank you, Karen. That was that was wonderful. I just wanted to say we had a calendar statement not long ago about you know the devil will try to get you to relax. I don't remember exactly what it said, but that was basically it. If I can get re- you to relax, then it's, it's done its work. So. It has exactly get you um, content in in um, the human human living and. Uh, you know, Thanksgiving Day, remember what we're all about. It's not just getting so stuffed and falling asleep in front of the television. So we'll have our walk. We'll keep working. Also after the dis- oh, excuse me, Mary, sorry. No, no. Go ahead. Well, after our discussion last, last week about impersonalizing error, um, yeah. that, you know, he wasn't calling Peter Satan, but he certainly was calling the pride that that's how Satan got to him was through his pride right? to stop, to tempt Jesus, to stop what he was about to do. But um, Jesus had to speak, you know, show his disciples, hey. <laughs> Thank you. And there was another article that brought out clearly um, from Carrie that you know, the, the church was not built on Peter, which I think maybe the Catholic Church, Roman Catholic Church, thinks that the rock is Peter. It wasn't Peter. Because Peter could be good. Peter could be very bad. But it was on his understanding that saw the rock as the Christ. That understanding is what the church is built on. And, you know, something that I always love that Charles Stanley brought out um, was after the resurrection in one of the gospels when jesus was calling his disciples he he said call my disciples and peter 
because he knew after all the mistakes Peter did, that Peter might not have come. It really yeah. touched me, you know, because he had denied him three times. He did this. He, uh, he might just have been hiding out somewhere. But Jesus specifically said, and Peter. And Peter, of course, oh. came. And then the end of that story or part of that story is Jesus said to his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me. How we separate ourselves from new age. Because most people don't want to do that. And maybe that's why we fewness and faithfulness of the followers. We don't even know how to do it, but science and health and the Bible tells us how to do it. So we are going to end today on something beautiful by Mrs. Eddy. And, and it's in one of the books, one of Carpenter's books, which I will nameless <laughs> for various reasons. Okay. Carpenter writes, if you spiritually take less thought of what appetite craves or desires about what you eat or drink, then you will drink water instead of coffee, tea, or stimulants and save much expense in cooking and groceries. Your clothing will abide instead of pass away. Your thought will so replenish yourself with wearing apparel that your clothing will be like the widow's oil rather than the fashionable lady's wardrobe from Parisian models and much time saved for usefulness instead of being expended on shopping and selecting and fitting garments. You will desire that place in society and the world which removes you furthest from them. The fate of ambition is its snare. Its only rationality is madness. We should yearn and aspire to rise above the world, its sorrows or its favors, with as great earnestness as to triumph over sickness, sin, and death. For worldly ambition leads in the paths of these conditions which are forbidden and forsaken in Christian science. What should be the object of the scientist's affections? The things of sense or those of soul? Certainly the latter. His affections will not cleave to corporeal personality, which is error. He will not fall in love with error, but fall out with it and depart from it and cleave to good, truth, the impersonal good. The objects of his affections are spiritual, not material. His modes of action, success, and happiness are removed from the shallows of matter into the grooves of God. Thank you all for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.